Coming up on Locked on Hornets, the NBA is back. I think. Maybe. What does it mean for the Charlotte Hornets? I'm joined by David Walker with that and Last Dance Thoughts, and we wrap up our week of what-ifs and this. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Mouthfeel huge, David. (laughs) You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. I don't want to jinx it. I've been nervous about it happening. I'm concerned about it happening, but it looks like it's going to happen. Basketball appears, NBA basketball appears to be returning. This is Locked On Hornets presented by Built Bar. Use promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. I'm Doug Branson. I'm joined today by David Walker. David, how you doing? I'm good, Doug. It's a holiday weekend. It's still quarantine edition, but it feels like it's loosening up. It does. It does. And that concerns me as well. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. at the same time... I didn't time, mean to sound so excited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, okay, okay. Basketball's coming back. All right. I hope everybody's safe. We're going to talk about that in just a second. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hornets. We're going to be doing a lot on the current team. We've spent the past few months digging up Charlotte Hornets past. But if, if NBA basketball is truly returning, then our focus has to return on this present day team. And we will be doing that. So make sure to tell Hornets fans, maybe they took a break from the podcast, say, hey, get back on Lockdown Hornets. They're going to be talking about things that are going on right now, including the NBA draft. Got to get back on, get Chad Ford back on the show. Uh, he was amazing last time he was on. He was great. Let's talk about the NBA return. Uh, there are a lot of sort of vague details about what is happening right now. Apparently, they're going, executives are going to have another call, I think, on uh, next Friday to really solidify a lot of these details it appears that disney world in orlando is the favorite to host a one-site bubble initially there was houston and vegas were in the running and orlando for maybe a multi-site deal but it looks like orlando disney world is going to be the place where they gather the entire nba to have what looks to be a five game regular season and then the playoffs. And what I mean, five games, they need the NBA needs to come, everybody, all the teams, to complete 70 games to uh, basically get, get these contracts taken care of that they've signed with the regional sports networks. They all say 70 games minimum in order to get paid. And so they got to get all these teams to 70 games. A lot of teams are sitting at the five or six mark. So you're looking at probably everyone playing five or six games. And here's how the timeline looks to be uh, forming. Again, all of these details are a little vague. That's why I'm like careful to say this is not sort of concrete stuff that we're talking about here. This tweet is from Keith Smith, who's pretty plugged in. And he's ta- he talking uh, to a team executive, says that early June, everybody's going to be back in facilities. Then by mid to late June, you're going to have a training camp. 
Then in early July, everyone's going to travel to the single site, which again looks like it's going to be Orlando. Mid-July, games start. Then around Labor Day, the season is over. Then in mid-September, you have the draft. A week later, you have free agency. And then around Christmas of this year, you're going to start the 2020-21 season. So, David, that's a lot of information. How are you feeling about the NBA returning? Well, I think at some point it felt inevitable. I mean, over the first couple of weeks of the quarantine, it seemed to go back and forth. People asked why was this even worth it, if it was even worth it. But I think that 70 game and that contract situation was a big sticking point, obviously, because money talks and the owners don't want to have to give back that money. I did think it was interesting. I think it was Kevin O'Connor at the ringer who noted that the Lakers and maybe one other team, they don't have that stipulation in their regional sports network so they can get by without completing the 70 games. But I think, you know, the, uh, the crux of that stays the same and that everybody needs to get to that situation. So once they started getting words that, you know, the players definitely want to play, which shouldn't have been a surprise players want to play. Then they just had to figure out a way to do this. And it seems like that bubble scenario in Orlando is probably the smartest way to go about it. I don't know how else you do it. It's just, it feels with everything being so uncertain, Doug, in the world. Okay. And, you know, much less trying to figure out some weird way to finish this season. Um, it's almost like you have to see things happen before you can really believe it or see what's going on. And so for me, like this all seems still like almost a fairy tale at this point. I mean, I, I think they will get it done, but then you start to ask, okay, how do you go about it? How does a team like the Hornets who is not going to make the playoffs, but is going to finish this season? How do they go about it? How do those teams fill out the games and, and play it that way? If you're going to have a training camp, if you're going to go through all of that, why not play the five games? I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. This was an interesting quote from Adam Silver. He says, uh, the collective bargaining agreement was not built to handle pandemics, <laughs> which which means that the <laughs> collective... plan. Well, it means that the collective bargaining agreement joins everything else in not being right. able to or being built to handle pandemics. We don't know how to do any of this. It's all uncharted territory and the NBA has to navigate it. And it's, it's from the big details. Like how do you schedule everyone when different teams, uh, you know, like the Atlanta Hawks only have three games before they get to 70 and then the Hornets have five and then some teams have six. And as you said, the Lakers don't have that RSN. So, but they obviously, if everybody else is playing games, they're going to want to tune up before right. you know they enter the playoffs. So you have big details like that, but then you have small details like you know regulations in terms of where they're staying, where they can go, how they interact in the game. If, if you're the 12th or 13th guy on the roster, maybe normally you would sit at the end of the bench. You have no chance of coming into the game. You may have to sit in the stands. They, they may not have to. You, mm -hmm. They, they right. won't be able to have really everyone sitting on the bench really close to one another. And it, but will there be stands? Is there an arena? Is it is it more like a court? It's it's just going to be wild. Uh, I'm really interested to see how they execute it. But the thing is, it looks like they must. I mean, that's the big thing. It seems right. like this is about uh, the health, uh, the financial health of the league moving forward, and not affecting other seasons, and and not as heavily impacting salary caps in the next few years. That seems to be the primary motivating force to get back on the floor. Before we go uh, to our next segment, I do want to talk about the impact on the Charlotte Hornets. So if they do play these five regular regular season games, David, I mean, do you play 
everyone. I mean, how do you, or, or do you evaluate that when you get into training camp and see where everybody is in terms of their physical status? I mean, how do, right. how do you how how do you think they're going to operate that? I have no idea. I mean, and I don't think they do either. I, I've always fallen back on the thought that if there's games to be played, most players are going to want to play those games, right? And these will be real games. I mean, they will be official games. They're going to feel very strange and very odd. Uh, but what should the team do? I mean, how can you go to a Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, and say, Thanks for coming to training camp, guys. Everyone else is playing. These are real games, but we're not going to use you that much in these five games. We're just going to play these other guys. Is it out of a fear of injury? I mean, I guess that's a part of it, right? Is it out of the fact that these games, you know, quote, unquote, don't really matter? Um, I mean, how do the coaches approach that? There's so much that goes into this it's it's like a summer league game that counts officially in the record books and you know how they treat those summer league games i mean it's a big teaching opportunity it's a big learning opportunity it's a it's opportunity to see minutes but how much can you see in a week and a half's time oh i think i think that's the really salient point right i mean if it's only going to be five games for the charlotte hornets how much experience is that really for a Devonte graham and pj washington because to me that really is the only argument to playing any piece of your franchise that you feel like is a future piece is that you could, especially because this is a young team, that you could get them just a little bit more experience before you head into next season. Uh, but I just I don't know that that outweighs the risk because we're all going to be talking about injury risk. We're all going to be looking at these players through a microscope and seeing who is out of shape, how many people are out of shape. Like there's just going to be so many comments on social media about like, oh man, this guy clearly (laughs) didn't work out during the quarantine. Quarantine body, hashtag quarantine body. I mean, you you raise a great point though. Like aren't the coaches and the staffs and the trainers, aren't they going to have to be extra on point and watching these guys during whatever portion of training get goes on, how they're adjusting, who stayed in shape, who went shopping, you know, who just stayed in the house. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And then the other thing, jumping back to the NBA angle on this, Doug, is they've got to create something that is legitimate. I mean, whoever the winner, whoever the champion ends up being after all this is played out, you know, they don't want, I don't see how you can, avoid having some sort of asterisk, but they've got to make this thing as legit as possible. I guess it's easier to do that once you get into the playoff modes and you can go full seven games, but I mean, who knows? No, it's going to be a huge risk for the league. That's the thing. All of the risk is on the league at this point, right? It's not on teams. If the Charlotte Hornets go out there and treat this like summer league, the fans aren't going to punish them. There won't be any fans in the stands that that feel like, oh, I didn't get my money's worth. And people on television aren't going to punish the Charlotte Hornets, a team that is clearly in rebuild mode, a team that is clearly focusing on young players and future uh, prospects. Nobody's going to punish them for not taking this in this as seriously as uh, one of the LA teams, right? right? So if they go out there and get slaughtered, it's not going to be that big a deal as long as everyone leaves healthy, um, both healthy from the, from the aspect of their their joints and their bones, but also healthy from the aspect of you know away from uh, coronavirus and and hoping that the NBA can find a way to keep everyone uh, safe. There's also this big question around Malik Monk. Uh, you know, we haven't heard any news around Monk. Is he cleared to play? Well, uh, you know, has he been able to uh, do whatever the NBA wants him to do or needs him to do in order to play? So 
There are some questions How around. How would they know at this point, right? Like it's impossible. <laughs> they won't know till they can get near him, I would think. A lot of questions. Yeah, and then what, what about the whole, you know, draft angle of this thing, Doug? I mean, I'm sure some fans are saying, look, throw these five games away. Let's let's put that in our loss column. Let's up our chances even more if we can. Let's make up a few spots in the lottery. So really just insane stuff to think about. Nothing that anyone was ever prepared to do. No, absolutely not. I think you're totally correct on that. A lot of questions floating around. Uh, one thing that isn't a question is how amazing – uh, Built Bar is, how amazing it tastes, how healthy it is for you, and and what an amazing sponsor they've been to uh, this podcast. Built Bar, they are the best tasting protein bar ever. Uh, these things have 100% chocolate wrapped around them. I'm going to give you a pro tip, too, when you get your Built Bars on BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On, You get $10 off. But here's the pro tip. Throw it in the refrigerator. I, I, this is what I do. So I go out on a run, I grab a bill bar, I throw it in the fridge, I go out on my run, and then I come back in. And I don't know, just it, it, the cold built bar just tastes a lot, even tastes even better to me. I just I like the 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 feeling, the mouth feel, uh, which is really important uh, in protein bars. I don't know if you know that uh, mouth feel huge, David. <laughs> um, David, I'm gonna. Buy, by the way, you've been so gracious with your time on this podcast. You've been doing our rewatches. You've joined me today. I'm gonna send you a box of yeah. built bars. I need some. I, I've been on quarantine diet, and I need to get back into uh, you know normal normal shape here. So, uh, well, I mean, yeah, these things have tons of protein in them. The peanut butter brownie, in particular, has 20 grams of protein, only 170 calories, three grams of sugar. That's the big deal. When you get these protein oh. bars, a lot of times they load these doggies up with sugar it's not good for you um so these things are healthy they taste amazing here's the deal go to billbar.com use promo code locked on you're going to get ten dollars off your first order um david's going to get these for free he's going to get a hundred percent off his first order uh but use the promo code locked on at billbar.com second segment coming up we've been doing what ifs all week on the show David Walker is here. He's going to give us his biggest what if in Charlotte Hornets franchise history. And he's been around for all of it, folks. So you know it's going to be good. You're listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. Have you fallen out of love with uh, Lonnie Walker yet, or are you still in love with him? I think there's still a chance. Yeah, I think I there's know, still a too. chance. Yeah. I think he's uh, playing pretty well right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Know this, but the people that listen to this show, they have a lot of affection for you, and they have a lot of respect for your opinions. I don't know why. I mean, I've known you for a long time. I don't get it. Right. Um, You are no one in the house right now either. So (laughs) (laughs) I I appreciate everyone. It's true. I mean, that's the quarantine has exposed deeper truths about the people that we've we've chosen uh, to spend our time <laughs> with, um, what they feel about us, what we feel about them. I mean, it's just it really breaks down all of those barriers um, as much mystery as surrounds um, whether the NBA is going to return is countered by all of the truth that we have found out about one another. Um, but my point in all of that was, David, is that uh, the rest of this show will be dedicated just to getting your thoughts on some of the stuff uh, that Walker and I have been diving into the past couple of weeks, including what the entire network has been talking about, which is what ifs. 
what ifs on every team in the NBA, make sure to check out Locked On NBA. And if you're a fan of another team and you want to go check out what ifs on their team, you can do that. I would suggest going to Locked On Heat. They did a whole what if on Alonzo Mourning. What if he had never signed with the Heat? So you can get sort of the counter take on that situation. I now hand it to you, David. What is your biggest what if in Charlotte Hornets history? Well, sticking with the times, my biggest what if is what if Michael Jordan had bought into the Hornets instead of the Wizards? Um, I had often gone back and looked at this scenario. And if you play it out the way it played out there, eventually he would have come back to the court. He would have donned the purple and teal. He would have worn 23 for the Hornets. Uh, You know, there's a lot of hate around that Wizards time. But if you go back and look at what a 39, 40-year-old Michael Jordan did as a Wizard, it's still pretty impressive. I I think it goes without saying that the Hornets, you know, would have probably stayed here. Um, A lot of the good things that happened to them in New Orleans and Oklahoma City uh, could have happened here in Charlotte. And you would have had a much longer, you know, longevity here with with the franchise being here. Eventually it happened. Of course, as we know, Michael Jordan is the owner of the Charlotte Hornets now. But that's a huge, huge what if um, for me and, and and where this franchise was. So I, I don't know how close it was to ever happening. I think there was some possibility of it going that way. But uh, for me, obviously, that's a huge landmark what if. And, of course, when he joined the Wizards, it was in an executive role, right? Did he take an mm-hmm. ownership stake immediately? So are you, is your what if, what if Michael Jordan had joined the Charlotte Hornets joined. Yeah. In, in some kind of executive role? Well, I'll tell you, Kwame Brown would have joined the the Charlotte Hornets maybe instead of the Charlotte. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> instead but I don't of know the Charlotte be- Bobcats, he did. You know, that's a, that, let's talk about that for a second. Everyone loves yeah. to talk about how Michael Jordan picked on Kwame Brown, ruined Kwame right. Brown. Right. But but then Kwame decided to go back to the well and rejoin the Bobcats. Like that was shocking. Yeah, and you haven't heard anything from Kwame this this week. He's not upset he wasn't mentioned in the last dance. You know, he he's not pissed off at and that was an interesting time though. I'd almost forgotten about that because there was a lot of talk when Kwame came back to Charlotte or came to Charlotte and MJ was here. You know, people were a little baffled by that. But um and Kwame, you know, stuck around in the NBA for a long time. Of course, as a label to bust because he was that number one overall pick. And man, knowing what we know now, a little bit more through the last dance. Uh, MJ, if he gave Kwame just half of the stuff he gave, you know, Scott Burrell, for instance, as an 18 year old kid, I mean, it's been highlighted before, but that's just an unbelievable burden to have to go in, start your first job and have the greatest person to ever do that job. Just ride your ass every day. It's gotta be impossible. He not only joined the Bobcats owned by Michael Jordan, but he joined the team when it was coached by Larry Brown. So, I mean, you got to give it to him. I mean, he went into a really... we, we got to bring him back. There's got to be some sort of celebration for this kid. I mean, it's honestly. Seen, it, it, I don't know that it was the smartest decision, you know, if you're talking about sort of mental fragility to join a team that's owned by Michael Jordan and coached by Larry Brown, who... Uh, go listen to the Ryan Hollins episode of Rejecting the Screen. I'm a giant billboard for Locked On right now, but that's a great episode because Ryan Hollins really breaks down how Larry Brown broke down players for the Bobcats. Also, there's an Adam Morrison episode where he goes into even more detail about what Larry did to some of the players, young players that were playing for the Charlotte Bobcats. And it was a tough environment to play in. And Kwame, again, he chose that opportunity to try to revive uh, his NBA career uh, in Charlotte. But it is an interesting what if because 
Jordan, had he joined as an executive with Charlotte, right, would he have been able to take some of the sting, if you'll pardon the pun, out of some of the other stuff that was floating around the organization, including the oh. legal trouble that Shen was in yeah. for, um, uh, I don't, I don't know if it was technically called sexual assault then, um, but right, certainly yeah. would be called accused of sexual assault now. And would would that have maybe provided a distraction or or at least an allure for the city to work out some kind of deal? Uh, could there have been a transition that took place away from Shin to Michael? Ultimately, and Michael, as an executive, would have had a lot more to play with than he did in Washington because that that Charlotte team was better. Yeah, think about that. Think about who he could have played with in Charlotte. And I think he gave. Oh, so now hold on, hold on, pause. (laughs) Because you just took it to the other level, which is what if Jordan had returned and played for this? So you're thinking that he comes in and he would have done that. And you think he he dons made the same transition the purple and sure. he could he wouldn't have yeah. been able to resist it and then he's playing for the hometown Clearly. team yes that's what I'm saying think about that think about and and you talk about something that could have swayed the public attention and and this is when Charlotte was pretty much fed up with George Shin everything that was going on there you know we talked about the sellout streak ending and those last couple of playoff runs when. They were playing in front of not full crowds at the Charlotte Coliseum. If MJ is a part of any of that run and playing with that team, now that's something that's really interesting. He's playing with a lot more veterans, a lot more talent. Um, how does how that work with that? How does that those? work with Mashburn though? I mean, that's the you know yeah. Mashburn was the the lead dog score and and the pretty much the alpha score on that team. Does does Jordan have to find a way to get rid of Mash? Probably could have. I mean, had some. yeah. That leads to trading for Jerry Stackhouse, obviously bringing him <laughs> in. Uh, so you know, Buzz <laughs> Peterson, Buzz ball, Peterson is right. coach. Uh, sure, why not? He brings Doug Collins game. would have would have been implement. Doug Collins would have put in on the on the bench. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm assuming everything would have played out the exact same. But yeah, to me, that's just always been fascinating, and I feel like a real missed opportunity for guys like me and the city of Charlotte, uh, because, you know, you think about it, uh, Washington, you know, what was the real connection there to Jordan prior to that? But if he would have been able to come back here, put on that hometown uniform, that is a bit more of a storybook ending, I think, and probably would have sat, you know, better with people just based on getting back to his roots and all that stuff. And it just would have been really, really, really interesting. But you brought up another point because the, the pipeline to Chapel Hill, of course, is only two hours. So God knows how many people would have would have started taking that trip, how many people would have made their way to the front office, the bench, uh, the roster that once had the baby blue on. Well, yeah, he probably saves the Celtics from drafting Joe Forte. He, he probably well, allows the Celtics. Now we're to talking, get, see. Yeah, I'm saying he probably <laughs> accelerates Boston's ability to get back in the Eastern Conference by preventing them from, from wasting a draft pick on Joe Forte and allows the Boston Celtics to win several more championships. So yeah, they, and so the Hornets would never have been in the position, most likely, to draft a Kwame Brown, but to draft a Joe Forte for sure. I don't know... Yeah, I don't. It's an it's an interesting uh, thought experiment. I don't know if if the Michael Jordan that we got to see in in that se- in the second comeback would have propelled the Charlotte Hornets into championship consideration. And I'm not taking away from what MJ did in that second comeback because a lot of people 
don't realize how yeah. well he played during that period, but he was doing it on a Wizards team where there were there were those kinds of things available to him, and certainly they would have yep. been available to him in Charlotte because he's Michael Jordan. But I don't know that it just like automatically makes them a, a title contender. Um, but they were close. I mean, they almost got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, would that have been enough to get them over the Nets in two thousand and two? Maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, what, what's the what's that piece that? You know, so many of those Hornets playoff teams miss that guy that could hit a shot in the end. They could kind of get that key basket down the stretch to make something happen. I mean, MJ was certainly that guy. He was in that position several times with the with the Wizards, you know, in the regular season. But it would have been interesting to kind of have that relief guy, that go-to guy that you knew could make something happen with the shot on the line, you know, with the game on the line at the end of the game. Um and, and, and when several other people came up short, you know, so um, it's something fun to think about. Like I said, I don't know how close it ever was to really happening, but it, it was a layup when you go back and think about it. I mean, hey, bring the guy home and, and save a lot of things from from messing up. It just would have been fascinating to see how it played out. Well, and it would have given you, you know, I mean, Diddy and MJ as a backcourt. I mean, that would have been tough, I think, uh, really tough to guard against. And if you remember in that 2002 season, uh, Mashburn was hurt for a lot of it and then mysteriously went down, not mysteriously, I mean, he had a, a an ailment, um, I believe it was like an iron deficiency or some, some, some it wasn't yeah. like a, it wasn't like a muscle or, you know, traditional sort of body injury uh, in that 2002 season that kept him out of um, a lot of the playoffs. So if if MJ does join the team and Mash is gone, then maybe you don't. You, you know, you do have one of your best guards at that point in that series. Would it have been? An, and they were already a great defensive team, and adding MJ would have, I think, helped in that in that respect. So yeah, I mean, totally interesting. What if? Good job, David. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know that I even it's, thought about it. We did do the what if Larry Bird had. Um, yeah, purchased the Bobcats instead of Bob Johnson. I feel like it would have been better. Would <laughs> they have been the Birdcats, though, is my question. It's always my question. Like, would they have just been the birds? Or the bird or, bars. I, I, I feel like the flight definitely takes the cake there with the name, but yeah. Yeah, and, and well, I think Larry Bird is a man of the people, and I think yep. he would have seen that more people wanted Charlotte Flight and would have gone with the people. So I do agree. I think it would have been Charlotte Flight. Mm. Uh, let us know what you think on Twitter at Locked On Hornets uh, as we wrap up this What If series again next week. We're going to be transitioning into uh, what's going on, preparing you for whatever resumption of basketball looks like in the next couple of weeks. We're going to start uh, digging back into this uh, current team. Uh, but first, in the next segment, I got to get David's thoughts on Last Dance because he has a lot of them and I want to know them. Let me tell you about Blinkist, though. Blinkist is amazing. It's a great app. Uh, it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or you can listen to. That's a really cool part, is that you can listen to these nonfiction books, but it's not like an audiobook. It's like you get these things in like 15 minutes, and it essentially gives you the need-to-know information quickly. Because successful people like business leaders, they're all well-known for reading lots of books. And Blinkist is made for busy people like you and me who want to get the main points of a book quickly so that you can actually start using that information right away. 
With the audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book wherever you are, whatever you're doing, walking the dog, uh, cooking dinner. You can listen to these Blinkist and get these nonfiction books that you've always wanted to read read. Um, with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer that's just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA. You can try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com NBA to start your free seven-day trial. And oh, by the way, you're also going to save 25% off but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. This is Locked on Hornets. All I have to go off of is write-ups and highlights and some video tidbits on Twitter because I was not able to watch this game. Tidbits, like are, tidbits? That's, a, well, that's a great word, tidbits. It, I mean, that's just a funny a word. word, tidbits. I want to use it every single day. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. ESPN. They are doing uh, what everyone in media does. They find a hit, and then they just go right back to it. They say, that worked. It's the Bill Belichick idea of, of running one play, and even if it works, even if it doesn't work, you run it again. That's what ESPN is doing with The Last Dance. Now they're going to do a nine-part series on Tom Brady. I find that hilarious. I feel like Michael Jordan secretly, we're going to find out later on, uh, that Michael Jordan... Uh, basically set it up where he said, all right, ESPN, I'll do a 10-part documentary, but that means that no one else can have a 10-part documentary, including Tom Brady. If, if you want to do a Tom Brady thing, fine, but it has to be nine because I'm Michael Jordan and I get 10, I get all the pizza. <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> that's what happened. Uh, David, the last dance is over. Unfortunately, it was fun all the way through. Your thoughts as uh, we conclude this uh, chapter of our Michael Jordan lives. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, that was my main takeaway, I think. And look, I'm not the best person to be biased on this, obviously, because no, you I are consume... the best person to be biased because you love, you love. Oh, Michael yes, Jordan. that's right. <laughs> yes, I, I'm the most biased. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I am super biased on this. I enjoyed every bit of it and watched it. You know, I thought like 902 and 0 episodes used to fly by, Doug, but I mean, I'll tell you what, these episodes <laughs> of The Last Dance went by so fast that I would find myself pausing them, not fast forwarding through any commercials because I just enjoyed that so much going back to that. So much of that is nostalgia. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry that nostalgia gets me every once in a while. And uh, I had a great time watching The Last Dance. There was some certainly some fair critiques. Um, you know, you mentioned, of course, the stuff from like Ken Burns and, and people that were uh, looking at this from a, a documentary viewpoint and and criticizing some of that and Jordan's involvement and all that. And I got all that. I just think that what we got from him speaking as himself, you know, speaking more on the unfiltered side to a lot of the high points and the low points along his career. I mean, some of the most talked about things that went on during that time, the good and the bad, um, were some of the answers maybe unsatisfactory for a lot of people. Sure. And I think a lot of people, just kind of enjoyed being back in that space. And I think the number one thing, especially from the beginning, was just reminding or educating some people that never even saw Michael Jordan play, what type of player he was, especially in the young days. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But the explosiveness he had, the effect he had on the league, the cultural impact he had all the way along. 
And they had a tough job, Doug. I mean, I think you mentioned this. Like, this was a huge, huge undertaking. And you could see it in how it was laid out because they couldn't really figure out if it was the Bulls story or if it was the Michael Jordan story. And they were trying to weave so much of that along the way, telling backstories around key players, selecting those, you know, kind of oddly, although you would figure that you'd have Phil, Dennis, and Scotty to tell backstories on. But they went about it in a way that was a lot of times confusing for people. I'd be watching it with people and they weren't, they wouldn't know what timeline it was in, you know? So that was an interesting tool that they used. A lot of the stuff worked. A lot of the iPad stuff was great with MJ. You got some of those good reactions. I actually would have been okay with more of the MJ interviews, certainly more of the footage from that 1998 season, because that's what we were sold on. Um, But I thought, you know, it was great for for anyone who was just interested in that time, interested in Jordan. Of course, all Jordan fans were going to eat that up and love it, as I did. And so uh, I just had a great time with it. And it, it came to us in our time of need, Doug. I mean, Black Jesus ascend, you know, descended once again to help us all. <laughs> I agree with all of your points. I'll also add this, uh, because I've critiqued the documentary a lot on this show. I will give the documentary this, that laying out Michael Jordan's career in the way that it did I think illuminated to me for the first time, and I've, I mean, I watched Jordan growing up, so I'm familiar with Jordan. So I think this is something that will affect people who know Jordan and people who are discovering him for the first time, that there really wasn't one type of Jordan player. There were multiple. I mean, he went through um, body and play evolutions as his career went on. Like he started as this really elite athletic scorer, could jump out of the gym and had to transform his game uh, when Doug Collins left and you transitioned to Phil Jackson, um, he had to transition uh, to be a triangle basketball player, and then he had to transform his body to beat the Pistons, you know, to get stronger. And, I mean, 98 Jordan just looked dramatically different than the, than yeah. the Jordan we saw win the dunk contest and had the chain on. Like, he just looked dramatically different. Uh, and, and not all players do that because uh, look at Reggie. So we got some uh, nostalgic exactly footage of Reggie. And yeah, and 98 Reggie looked like, you know, 89, 90 Reggie. So that was super interesting. Um, yeah, it, I think it was great. I'll tell you who has not enjoyed the documentary. And that's anyone that expected the documentary to comment on what Jordan has done after he retired in 98. They, they, the people that wanted yeah. to see Wizard stuff. They wanted to, there were some people that wanted to see uh, Charlotte Hornets, Bobcat stuff. Like, I don't <laughs> get it. Uh, David, what do you think about all of these people that are saying, well, they should have shown this and it should have shown that? Yeah, that never even entered my mind. And maybe it was because I had just read a book that was really a good companion piece to the doc right before it started. And there's a couple of them out there. This one was Blood on the Horns uh, by Roland Lazenby, I believe. Yep. And it never, now, it was written at the time, of course, but it just focused on that season, mm-hmm. on that team. Um, and that goes for everything that was kind of, quote, unquote, left out of this, Doug. Like, in this book, there wasn't a lot of family stuff. There wasn't a lot of backstory stuff. I think a lot of the filmmakers basically had to read this book. I mean, on set, I think it was a big uh, uh, reference point for a lot of people. And you could kind of tell that because they did kind of section things off uh, like there's a big section on Tex Winter. There's uh, there's a lot more background stuff, biographical on on some of the players. 
but it doesn't go into the family stuff really. Like it doesn't step onto some of the other territories that MJ clearly does not want to have out there. Even to this day, his kids, you know, certainly his ex-wife, his current wife, like none of that is in the dock and none of that was delved into really into those books either. So to me, it wasn't surprising not to see that. It's, it's funny you know, Vernon Maxwell came out the other day and said, hey, what about the Houston Rockets? I'm like, well, the Bulls never played the Rockets. Uh, you know, the baseball thing was in there because MJ was a part of that. So, you know, I never expect to see anything with the Hornets, anything with the Bobcats. This because, again, and I think this is where the doc and the filmmakers gave themselves a little cushion, right? Because they could say, well, it's an MJ. It's a Bulls doc. Now, if, you, if your argument is this, it's a Bulls doc. If see, it's argument is this, it's MJ doc. I think that precisely for that reason, it has opened itself up to criticism like this. Like you should have shown this, you should, because they tried to please everybody. They tried to do like three documentaries in one. Had they just said, all right, we're going to do a documentary about the 97, 98 bulls. And we're really going to stay focused in on that and give you a little bit here and there to give you some context, but really stay laser focused into that. Then it would have been clear to everyone. Oh, I get it. It's a, it's a 97, 98 bulls, Jordan documentary. Um, so, you know, once you, once you sort of open it up to a lot of other different things, then you're going to have everyone come in and say, well, I wanted this and I wanted that. And you didn't give me that. And everyone's going to feel entitled to feel entitled. You know, I think that's, that's the syndrome, uh, that we're seeing, uh, before we go, I have a surprise for you, David, and, uh, and I saved this for the end. Um, save the best for last, but also, uh, saved the thing that's kind of niche for last, uh, I've been re or I've been watching for the first time. I've been binging uh, Succession. Yes, and you are a big fan of Succession. You've been trying to get it, me to watch it for a long yeah. time. Uh, so I, f- this is really just for the fans of Succession and The Last Dance. I want to quickly go through the ninety-seven, ninety-eight Bulls team and try to line <laughs> up the ninety-seven, ninety-eight Bulls with characters from Succession. Uh, so if you have no interest in this. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been Locked on Hornets. Uh, make sure to check out Hollinger and Duncan and Rejecting the Screen and Chad Ford's Big Board on the Locked on Podcast Network, and I'll be back next week with Walker and Mail. But if you are interested in this, then uh, let's do it. I think clearly Logan Roy is Michael Jordan. Yes. Right. I mean, Tyrant yes, clearly. Uh, plays Tyrant. mind games with all his kids. Um, I don't think he went. I don't think he went full bull on the floor at any of these practices. But <laughs> I mean, who's to say? I don't know. Uh, well, I think yeah, Scott. So Scott Burrell, in my mind, is Tom Wansgat. Right. I yeah, mean, I was either going to say that or cousin Greg, but I, I think one of the two has to be has to be Scott Burrell. See, but the thing is, Greg is cunning. He has that little gray. He is an idiot, but he has that grain of cunning. And so that to me is not Scott Burrell was just too nice for his own good. And that's Tom. Tom's a little yeah. too nice for his own good and a little too dopey for his own good. And unfortunately, that's the great Scotty Burrell. So I would <laughs> give that to him. Uh, now let's go to Kendall. Kendall feels like Scotty to me. Scotty. I, I think Scotty, you have a lot of the you know, clutch situations um, that were singled out, you know, perhaps needed to come up in a couple of big spots, maybe didn't as much. Quits on the team. Missed the meeting. Kendall has quit on the team. Kendall has quit on the family a few times. This feels to me to be the perfect match. 
I'll give you another softball, Roman. I, I mean, Roman's Robin. Robin. I mean, it's right Roman's there. It's, it's in Robin. the name. You had a D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there's anyone jetting off to Vegas or going to a wrestling match, it's it's certainly Roman. Okay, here's an interesting one. Shiv, okay? Shiv is somebody that didn't really want to be a part of the family. That's a tough one. Kind of gets dragged back, di- back in. Now, I just watched that episode where Rhea said that Shiv was a little too smart for her own good. I, I kind of have one here. I'm going to say that Shiv is Phil Jackson. A little too – because there's two sides of Shiv as well. Um, there's Always this, trying to work the angles. Right. Is a little zen. I mean, she, she's she's very like tries to sort of stay on top of a situation and stay in control. Um, yeah. Do you yeah, like that one? Do you like Shiv as, as Phil Jackson? Shiv as Phil Jackson. The only thing is... Marcia. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot of manipulation as well, I think. You know, in Shiv, she tries to uh, play both sides of things, and you got Phil kind of splitting his time between the the locker room and the front office trying to work that angle. Um, so that's pretty good. You could also do Phil as Connor. Connor and Phil have some similar qualities. They're both like sort of – I love Phil Jackson in this documentary because I felt like there were two sides of Phil. There was the side where he gather everyone in the locker room and say, all right, remember what we talked about, centering – and all this stuff, and then they would cut to him on the court when they were down to the Jazz in the finals, and he'd be like, "All right, damn it, we gotta get this win." Like I, mean, <laughs> I, I was like, Whoa. "That one shocked me." I was like, Whoa, "That one Phil. shocked me." Not, not, yeah, not because it never happened, but it was such urgency from Phil. Well, and, and, and that happens language. to Connor, right? I'm kind of talking myself now into Connor because Connor, we see him as this like, "Oh, I'm just gonna stay out of it, man." And then he, and then we have the, the episode is very zen like, like Phil too, right? And then, but then in that episode where they do the banquet and Connor's in command. And he's just yelling at everyone. So to me, actually, the butter, the butter. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. I think that one might be it. Now, where who who slides in as Coo Coach? Is that Greg? Coo Coach. Nobody wants him around. That's great. I mean, if yeah, he, they kind of beat him up. You know, beat him up they, a little bit. Him. He's an outsider. Nobody that's really knows kind of what his deal is. Coo Coach has to be Greg. Oh man, you nailed it. Coo Coach is yeah, definitely Coo Greg. Is Greg. <laughs> Are we missing anyone? I mean, we got the big players. I mean, are we going to give a Ron Harper to somebody? I don't know. Uh, we didn't really. Uh, we didn't really find a. Well, shift. who's? I'm going to say now there is a Horace Grant, and it's 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 um who's t- it, it's 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 Logan's buddy, not Logan, but um um it's the guy. It's Kendall's Kendall's friend. Yeah, Kendall's buddy. Right, they, they kind of switch sides. Yeah, you no, know, totally, tries yeah. to buy back in the trader for sure. I mean, you could do a Horace Kendall thing there with Kendall, you know, yeah. betraying the family. But I like this man. I really think that they secretly Horace did. and Scotty. Yeah, Kendall and that guy. Yeah, people Best think friends. that people think that Waystar Royco is an amalgamation of of uh, Fox News and Disney. Right, but I think it's the Chicago Bulls. I think we figured it out. <laughs> it's we've clearly de- inspired. We've decoded succession is secretly inspired by the 97, 98 Chicago Bulls. Now, so you, you'd have Jerry as it's, you can't be Krause because no. it's going to be Reinsdorf. Did you, exactly. Jerry is yeah. Reinsdorf because she somehow, well, first of all, she's technically next in line to Logan, right? but somehow she stays out of the fray. She always, and that's what Jerry did right up to the very end of this documentary. He stayed out of it, and it was all about Kraus, and Kraus was the bad guy. 
And there's one other guy that comes back into the fold that they, I believe they fired and they bring back Frank. in uh, Frank. That's gotta be Kraus. Yeah. Think, Frank. There's a Kraus. Could, well, Frank could be definitely Kraus. The one that they always, everybody kind of teases. Kraus could be Tom as well. Tom is yeah. definitely, de- definitely has some Krausian qualities to him in that he, he thinks he's a yeah, lot he, bigger he, than he wants. Is. Yes, he, he wants, wants the recognition. It. He wants the spotlight. Actually, who did I have Tom as initially? Right. I had Tom as uh I think I went Tom as now I have to go back and listen, figure out who Tom is. Tom was. well well it wasn't Pippin, it wasn't All right, well Thomas Krause. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Now you know yeah. Thomas Krause. All right, folks, uh, that's going to do it for us for real this time on Locked on Hornets. Yeah, well, that was a surprise for you, really. It was all about – it was a selfish uh, thing that we just did. We just put listeners through. I hope some of them who like Succession stuck around for it. Uh, But thanks for listening. What's that? Let us know if you've got other comparisons, please. Oh, yeah, I'll do any TV show. I love doing that. (laughs) I love taking a TV show and breaking it down and saying the characters are X, Y, and Z. So just give it – we'll do a Charlotte – Hornets ver- it's tough to do a Charlotte Hornets version of anything because we haven't had the personalities really crack open yet. Um, but maybe that's coming. Maybe maybe that's where this team evolves to. Uh, we'll see. All right, we'll be back next week uh, for David. I'm Doug saying go Hornets, go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.